Blake Robbins is a partner at Ludlow Ventures based out of Detroit, Michigan. He started at Ludlow as an associate shortly after graduating college, having worked for the likes of SpaceX, Nest, and Google, and was promoted to partner within two and a half years. Blake's obsession with the future of media has enabled him to become a thought leader in the industry. He sourced investments in firms like Hundred Thieves and others. Today we talked about cold emails, the state of VC, time is wealth, and more. Hope you enjoy. To start out, it's it's funny. I, I know you've talked about this a lot, just sort of your experience going through college and how that sort of landed you where you are today, but it seems like it's come a bit full circle because this started with a cold email from me to you, again, playing sort of the annoying college kid in your inbox, which you were so gracious to, you know, take me up on. But I'm I'm curious how that played a role in you getting to where you are today because again something you talk about a lot but i think it's really interesting yeah i i mean i guess for me i am born and raised in you know suburbs of detroit and i always just like in, in a lot of ways i feel like i was raised on the internet is is the phrase i would use is i, I just played way too much call of duty as a kid and i, I started just hang out on random internet forums as, as a kid and i just was like oh this is so clearly my people or like these people that i'm spending time with are meeting even though obviously like the standard advice is like don't meet strangers on the internet <laughs> i i sort of just like met a bunch of strangers on the internet and thankfully none of them were were crazy and i just like got to build a bunch of friendships and a lot of them were working on really cool stuff and i would say over time like when I got into to college and I started to think about like, okay, what do I want to do with my life somewhere to what you were talking about? I very quickly realized like, oh my gosh, I don't want to end up at, at like some Fortune 500 company that doesn't seem like my type of vibe right now. I want to be a place where I can add a bunch of value and like be a, a part of a smaller team. And that's like, I, I just started Googling and learning about startups and, and I was like, oh, this is like my people. I need to find out how to get into startups. And from that, just started to cold email a bunch of people like you did and and it was uh i was just shocked and and i think it's a lot of tech and startup and venture capital sort of culture is to be more approachable but you know i was shocked at, at the caliber of people that were responding and taking time to meet with me and 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 it's amazing the amount of opportunities that were open purely by me just putting myself out there in, in the same way that you are right now and so i i feel like I'd be crazy if I didn't respond to you because, you know, it's so similar to what I did. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to be here. Sweet. No, I think I've had a very similar experience in the sense that, you know, you start sending, I feel like the first few emails you send out to people are sort of the hardest. And then you start hearing back and you're like, wow, this is like, I'm doing something right, probably. But people are just way more friendly and approachable than you'd think. So it's, uh, no, it's a great experience. I think more people should be doing it, quite frankly. What do you think did it for you? Because you were talking about getting involved in the sort of startup ecosystem and getting interested in that and VC. What specifically about VC did it for you? Like, what was that thing? Yeah, it, it's a good question. I, I, I was a part of a startup uh, called Zarly, which was like a reverse eBay or reverse Craigslist. And they just raised a bunch of money. I was doing campus marketing for them while I was a student at Michigan State. And I, as one of the prizes for being a top campus marketer was I got to go to San Francisco and like go to their office for a week and actually went to a board meeting. And at that board meeting, I like, that was the first time I ever met a VC. What I learned, I learned about what a VC was. And I was like, 
this is someone's job like how do i do this and you know from that point forward i sort of became obsessed and everyone was like good luck you're not going to end up in this world uh like that like you know good luck like you're not going to end up in venture like at least early on in your career and I don't know. Maybe it was like that part sort of just stuck with me is like, I've, I've always loved hanging out on the edges. And when like a bunch of people were like, Hey, you're not going to make it in this world. I was like, what? That seems crazy. Like I'm just young, ambitious kid who like just wants to make it like, let me try and figure out how to do it. And so I just sort of listened in some ways, but I also was like, okay, I need to find my way in. And so I just continued to do a bunch of internships. And then eventually I, I convinced the team at Ludlow to let me join. And so, uh, yeah, that's the short story, but I, I, I sort of just got hooked once I learned about it. Like once I went to a board meeting, saw that that was someone's job and I was like, I love, uh, this idea of like finding interest in companies and founders at the earliest stages and trying to be helpful. And I, I, I would say I knew, pretty quickly that I didn't want to be like a growth stage investor or a later stage investor. Like I knew I wanted to be at the earliest stages. See, you didn't ideally because uh, I just love finding companies early. Like this has always been me as, as like a human. <laughs> I love the uh, sort of story or conviction you had in like breaking into VC early. I, I, I've talked with a few VCs and sort of asked them about this, but the typical sort of response I think I get from any student that's looking to go into VC, at least in my circle, is, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to do the investment banking thing, do that a little while, and then like maybe I'll have a shot of going into uh, VC, which seems to be the more traditional route. But whenever I bring it up to anybody who's actually in VC, they kind of just laugh at me, which I think is, <laughs> I think is pretty interesting. So, I mean, nowadays, right, if you were giving any student advice on breaking into something like that or maybe not even student just anyone that wants to sort of break into vc what would you say is most important yeah it's a good question i think it in my opinion i would really focus on like what makes you uniquely positioned to find you know great founders what makes you uniquely positioned to win deals like all of that those questions are hard to answer, especially when you're earlier in your career and in, in, in trying to get an adventure. But I think having a really unique network, having a really unique insight or just perspective, all of those things will pay huge dividends. And I think as you try and think about your own career, it's just like, how do I position myself to be surrounded by really smart people or to win deals, whatever it might be, uh, I think is key. And I think if you are there is no set path to get into venture is what I would say. Like I, I, I'm not of the mindset of like, okay, go and you know, work at some investment bank and then go to GSP and then right. you know, end up there. Like I'm living proof. That's not how you need to do it. But, and there's countless other examples, but there's other examples of maybe like, okay, maybe you should go and join an early stage startup. And like that company does well, and then you maybe chances, but like, there's so many different paths and and we've seen in the past like three years all these new paths emerge of like maybe you should just be writing like a great blog or maybe you should have a podcast like you know there's all these different paths that are emerging and i think the the key is to just question like how what is going to make you uniquely positioned to win either that's deals or finding interesting people and you know if you can't answer that honestly then i think it's like really hard to like vocalize why you why you should be in the space that makes sense and I guess a little bit broader, like more on a macro level here, as someone who's been working in and around VC for a little bit of time now, I was having this conversation with someone the other day. I think it was Kendrick Wynn, uh, mm. Republic, and he was talking a lot about 
just how he sees, he wasn't referring to VC in particular, but just the funding landscape as things become more democratized and talking about things like being an accredited investor, anything like that. I'm curious as to whether you have any thoughts on what the like landscape of VC is going to look like maybe five years out, if you have any like macro trends in mind here. Yeah, it's, it's so hard to say because the market right now is obviously insane. Yeah. And I'm sure everyone you talk to will have some perspective of why that, why they feel that way. I think, you know, for me, I, I, I think there is going to be more and more power accruing to the individual and like the solo GP uh, route that we see with Lockie and Josh and, you know, some of these others, I think for sure are like a trend that's not going away. Like that's only going to become stronger. But I do think there is another path of like, how do how do you compete with the biggest funds in the world or like the biggest brands in the world? I think, again, it goes back to you need to be really questioning how are you going to win in the future as, as a fund or as a, as a partner at a fund or just an investor at a fund. Like you should be thinking, how are we going to win deals and why are we winning deals? If like your answer is price or speed, I don't know if that's super sustainable. And so it's trying to figure out like what makes you uniquely positioned to win. Um, and, and that trend... I don't know. Like it, 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 it can change a lot in the next five years. Like it might just be that, hey, maybe like crypto catches on way quicker, and there's all these new ways that people invest. So I, it's hard for me to say. Five years is, you know, it, it's a long time in this space. Definitely. I, I want to drill into one of those things you were just talking about when it comes to understanding why you're uniquely positioned to like deliver value to any company that you're sourcing, like as a VC. It seems like when we're talking about democratization and like power to the individual or anything else like that, when it's, it comes to any of this, it all sort of seems in my eyes to point back to online identities and like personal branding in some ways. There's a lot of, you know, pretty big figures on the internet that have done incredible work in like leveraging that to, to, to their own benefit. I'm curious again, are there any things that you think people should be doing more of when it comes to that or any predictions just sort of in that space in general? I'm thinking big here. Hmm. I think like you touched on it and that there is more and more like it's just becoming more and more clear that having a personal brand or an audience is you know worthy of something. And I think at some point, one lever on that pole of like why you might be uniquely positioned to win is that you you might have an audience or you might have a very concentrated like hey I'm, I just have a bunch of young developers that watch or read my content and if you want to hire young developers then like I have a bunch of great developers that are in my audience and so we will definitely see that I think if you are thinking about this world it's trying to figure out just how you actually like build a voice and and you know that can be private that doesn't need to be public like but it's trying to figure out how you stay top of mind why people you know reach out to you like and and i say it because a kid from you know the suburbs of detroit and it's like if you told me 10 years ago or 20 years ago that i'd be able to like build an audience online and get people to read or pay attention to what i say i'd be like you're insane that sounds crazy <laughs> but for me I'm like continually shocked at just like I and we talked about this in, at, in the beginning where it's just like I learn in public a lot and so do you. I am just shocked at the dividends that that pays over time. And but I think the key is not forcing it. You know, if you are someone who doesn't want to be a public 
person, then don't be public, you know, and, and just find a, a core friend group or a group that you really respect and trust and want to share things with. I think the most important thing is just finding people that can be thought partners and that you can just share things with constantly and, and just riff with because that's where like most of the value will accrue. Definitely. Did that click for you at any point? Like when you were, it sounds like this, this clicked for you earlier on that like, okay, I should just be reaching out to people and that's going to, you know, even if I get, you know, a hundred no's, maybe the hundred and first says yes. Right. Was, was there a moment for you in, in, in college or maybe later on where it's really started to come together? Yeah, I'm trying to remember like exactly when, but it was definitely through Twitter. I, I I would use Twitter in college, but like I didn't have any followers. Like I was sort yeah, of yeah. the annoying like reply person who just replied <laughs> to like everyone and just like, have you read this? Have you seen this? Like, you know, and, 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 and I tried my best to like add value. But I remember at one point I just like tweeted to someone and I was like, hey, I'm in I don't know, San Francisco or something. I was like, is there any chance you're available this week to meet up? And I just did that publicly. And I was shocked. Like they responded and they're like, yeah, absolutely. Like message me. And I just like, couldn't believe that that happened. And that like, I just had a direct line to, I don't remember who the individual was, but I just remember being like, this person should not be responding or I should not have that level of access right now. And that was when like, it's really started to click of like, oh my gosh, I can really get to meet interesting people if I just put in the time and like, you know, try and add value or like just basically build a way for people to trust or know who I am and like understand how I think about the world without having to like manually do that for each person. That's like truly the biggest reason why I I do tweet and why I write or you know make content is because it's the best way for me to scale my own voice and get like more and more people to know how I'm thinking about things. Uh, because if they know how I'm thinking about things, then maybe they'll send me things or they'll send me an email and they might think similarly or differently. And I want to hear those perspectives as well. Definitely. Uh, I want to shift gears for a second. It kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier, but it's something that this might've been a tweet or something to be honest with you, but it's been top of mind for me for like, yeah, funny how that happens, right? It's been top of mind for me for like months. And that is this concept of time as wealth. And and yep. it's it's really been top of mind in the sense that I'm realizing more and more, I'm going into my last year of college now, I'm realizing more and more just the advantage I have of being in college and being able to reach out to people with like a .edu email address yep. and say like, hey, trying to figure this out. Can yep. you lend me a few minutes of your time? I, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on that and how that affected you in any way when you first came across it. Yeah. I mean, I think when you're in college and you have your .edu email, that's like truly the main thing that you're paying for, in my opinion, in, in college. It's like getting that email address opens so many doors. And I would encourage anyone who is in college to reach out to as many people as they want and, and they're interested in because it is sort of a cheat code in a lot of ways, especially if they're alumni, then like it's like, Good, like you're you're gonna meet some amazing amazing people just by simply uh, emailing them. And again, like the cost benefits of sending that email are you know it's almost a hundred percent upside and zero downside. Like worst case scenario, you don't get a reply, and it's like cool, they're busy. But the upside of you know maybe making a new connection, talking to someone who you wanted to talk to, is really worth it. And I would say the reason why it's so important to do while you're in college is 
if you do that after college and like you're just doing it from your like at gmail uh, a personal account and you're not like, at a job or anything like that it just looks like you're like an unemployed person asking for like you know work and yeah. that message obviously is very different than like hey i'm uh, going to graduate soon or i'm thinking about what i want to do after college and you know talent is one of the scarcest things within this entire space and in that like finding great young talent is is something that everyone's always looking for and i think that's probably one of the main reasons why startups or tech culture is so understanding and willing to talk to so many people is like they want to get more people into the space and and they're more than willing to help guide you and give advice and you know give thoughts on why they should join some company or how they should be thinking about their career as well i'm curious as to how that's impacted if at all just your the value that you place in your time in general because obviously i mean mm. you're, you're definitely paying it back in a lot of ways by taking calls with guys like me but in, in in other ways it's it's interesting when you start thinking about it in the sense of i think the example someone gave maybe it was the article that you shared was uh, you know picture a guy like warren buffett he's got all the money yep. anybody could ever want how much money do you think he would pay if he could be like 20 again you know and i i I can't stop thinking about that. That's something I'm really like, yep. okay, time matters. I have a friend actually, he's got, this is like a little scary for some people. He has a poster in his room and it's got like weeks of his life that he like fills out every, like f religiously oh every week. It's like pretty intense. But I think having that as sort of a reminder in the back of your head that like time is, is, is valuable, is important. Yep. I'm curious, has that affected your mindset at all? Uh, it didn't, it didn't affect it as much because I wasn't as aware of it. And I was more of just like, Hey, I want to meet as many people as like, I want to fill up my calendar nonstop, you know, all of that. And I would say over the past two, three years, I've sort of been like, Oh my gosh, I should slow things down and really only be doing things that I truly love and want to do. You yeah. know, it, it's, I think when you get to a point and I'm very fortunate that I'm in a position where like. I can look at my calendar and be like, I only want to take meetings that I truly love and enjoy. And like, and if you are in that position, then you should really take advantage of that. Because if you are taking meetings uh, or have obligations that you're already dreading, or you're like, you know, you're getting ready for that meeting and you're like, mm, I don't want to do that meeting right now. That's like, one of the worst feelings like you, you can't get that hour back or whatever it is that you you just wasted and so i i have started to really think about that more as well and just like i want to really value my time and i honestly the thing i missed the most from when i was younger or when i was in college is a lot of that free time to just go down rabbit holes and that like i used to love just sitting and reading like every Paul Graham essay and then like ending up on some <laughs> random forum and being like, oh, wait, here's this other spot or like, oh, wow, I haven't seen this company. What does this company do or what's this space? And I don't get as much of that over time. And I sort of made like a pledge to myself earlier on when I got into venture that I would meet a lot of I don't know, big general partners at funds when I first got into venture. And I was always like pretty underwhelmed at just like how they were thinking about things. And they're like, it was more of just like, okay, here's how like very macro stuff. And I've always been into like really deep in the weeds type of person. And I started to realize, and I talked with like one of these bigger GPs at the time and they're like, I don't have the time to go into those weeds anymore. And like, I wish I did, but like, I don't like I'm, I'm dealing with, x y and z thing and i am 
like that is my greatest fear and that I will like lose that that time to go and and just go down the rabbit holes and learn about things and like I just forever want to be a student and that's why I'm like always pushing myself on the time side of like yes my calendar might not be full today per se but I want two hours to go and just like wander the internet, you know, in a lot of ways, because that's when I'm most productive. And that's when I come up with my most interesting thoughts or like stumble across interesting people. Like there's so much serendipity of just hanging out on the internet that I just like try and do that more and more. And, and, and when I was in college, you know, I would sit for like hours, just like going in down random rabbit holes. And I don't get that as much these days. And, and I'm constantly fighting for that back now that I over-index on like meetings that I maybe shouldn't have signed up for. No, it definitely matters. And I think that is the nice thing about VC is the fact that in many ways you're getting paid to just sort of go very deep on topics mm -hmm. that already interest you in the first place. So it's very cool. I, I did want to switch gears again because you have, I mean, you deal with a lot of different stuff. I know Ludlow's, Ludlow's a general fund, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're a team of three generalists, early stage fund. Super cool. What are you looking at right now that you think people are just like completely undervaluing? Are there any like really strong convictions? Ooh. It, I, I would say like I am, like I, I was, I was, early to creators, early to gaming, that type of stuff. I would say right now I'm spending a lot of time in, in, in like NFTs and thinking about this crypto, but I don't know if I have any like super strong convictions within all of this right now. The, the one thing I do have really strong conviction is, is like, is, is that more and more game mechanics are just going to be ported over to everything. And that like the best consumer experiences will look more and more like a game and whether that's badging or level systems or, you know, like all of these like achievements, whatever it might be. But I think you will, you'll learn that like, like over time, people will just take the best lessons from gaming and apply that into other areas as well. That's really interesting. What does that look like practically? I mean, you gave the example of like badges and levels. Yeah, I mean, I think like Strava and Headspace are probably like the two best examples or maybe even Duolingo and and that like those all like Strava feels like a game and that like you like look and you see all your friends like running and you know there's like a leaderboard yeah. and there's you know badges that you unlock for certain things and Headspace is very similar like the first th like meditation that you complete like it literally like pops up like 50 badges of like you're on a streak now and all these things it, it and I say that because like game mechanics at the end of the day, like really just means like retention and retention tools. And I think if you can approach from a lens of how do we get people to be really heavily engaged in using these things, you, you will likely end up something that looks like a game. That's really interesting. And the NFT thing is is interesting as well. You said you've sort of been involved in that. It's it's crazy, right? The I mean, especially as of late, there was this the whole Beeple thing, like all of this going on. I'm curious how you see this playing out because I think uh, a lot of people have sort of written it off as a fad. Like, okay, I'll just yep. right click, save as save as JPEG, yeah, like yeah. whatever you know, all that stuff. I think when I'm, I'm thinking about NFTs and sort of DeFi and all tokenization and all this stuff in general, I still see NFTs as something that necessarily comes before the rest of sort of the DeFi space. I always think of the DeFi yep. space as sort of like nerd land right now in the yep. sense that of the people that know of crypto, of the people that you know, know what DeFi is, of the people that are actually using those tools, tons of untapped value, but I think it's going to take a while to get there. Whereas with NFTs and stuff, you see, I want to say I read this somewhere, Mark Cuban and the Mavs are like thinking of 
you know, yep. minting, minting tickets and stuff. Are there any other spaces you see NFTs being used in maybe the shorter term? Yeah, I mean, I think the one that's really blown up right now is just around like profile pictures and the community around that. And obviously, CryptoPunks is sort of the main one. But yeah. We also see like Board Ape. And then we also see, I mean, there's like Cool Cats and all these other ones that have, have popped up. And I think that's a really interesting sort of first wedge is, or like it's a natural one that hits because in a lot of ways, it's like showing status and digitally. And that like, if you're a part of that club, you know, if you're a part of a, like, if you have a CryptoPunk, you're basically a part of like the Illuminati in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, and, and like, it's like, how do you like digitally signal you're in the Illuminati is like, you basically prove you have a lot of money and that like you were the owner of that, you know? And, and, and I think that is, you know, that that's just a natural thing that, plays into a lot of people and that people would want to have something that is really culturally significant and especially to that world. And I think the more natural NFT stuff right now is things that are appealing really directly to the hardcore enthusiasts because that's obviously just the groups that's going to catch on the most. But I think over time, we're going to see more and more stuff that continues to pop up. And it might just like start with these avatar projects of like, hey, I want to have a board ape or a crypto punk purely because I want to get smarter on this space and now I want to be a part of this community. And yeah, it's fascinating just to see how these like communities form by like purely having something like that. How do you usually explain the whole crypto punk phenomenon to people? Because I mean, it's it's obviously super, it, it seems ridiculous to, to most people. Like I was, I think right before we were talking, I saw some NFT sale. It was like well into seven figures if you convert it. Yep. How, yep. how do you, is there an analog that you draw for people that may not really get it? Yeah, I mean, I would think about it as you're buying, hmm, trying to think like like the analog. It, it, it's funny because like for me, the analogies that I would use is, is like it's buying Counter Strike skins or a Fortnite skin <laughs> yeah. or things like that. But it's like if you're not if you're not in that world, then it, it's going to be a little bit harder to fully grasp. I think truly you're you're buying. A, a piece of culture in, in a lot of ways of like, hey, there's different rare ones. There's, you know, I forget how many aliens, there's so many apes, there's uh, so many zombies. And then there's all these other ones that have different characteristics and some look like the person that, that owns them. And then others are just like have really rare traits. Like maybe they have a beanie or something like that. But at the end of the day, it's, I just want to have a piece of, this community and 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 in my mind i would say that you're you're sooner buying a piece of that community and and signaling that you're part of that community more than even just the art itself and and that like the most successful nft traders or collectors or just really influential figures whether it's gary v or natchad or whoever like or, or jay-z for example they all have crypto punks and 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 it's trying to understand like okay what am i actually getting access to and in in a lot of ways it's the community like you're basically buying access into a community and being a part of hey i'm signaling that i'm a part of I don't know, like Soho House or or whatever, some exclusive uh, community, and and it's just a really expensive admission fee now, which is like it's like probably like forty ETH, which is I think like uh, one hundred and thirty thousand dollars today, you know. And so, and we might look back on this video or, or or podcast in you know five years and be like, oh, it was only forty ETH then. Like now, it's like five hundred ETH, and 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 that's the 
weird world that we're in and and maybe it will be zero ease you know and it's like i can't believe people paid for that and we don't know and and that's sort of the beauty of it but in a lot of ways it's it's there's a group that people are coming together and saying hey do you want to be a part of this community if so then here you go it's it's really interesting how the sort of dynamics play out especially with crypto punks because you know going back to the the facebook days the myspace days any of that like your online identity was a like direct representation of who you were in mm. real life and now you're seeing in many ways with you know the crypto punks thing or anything else it becomes a little bit more blurred and i know you've talked about yep. the pseudonymous online identity sort of phenomenon all yep. that stuff, whether or not we're, we're crazy for even putting ourselves out there online in the first place. Do you see that evolving in a specific direction, whether we're talking about like, oh, metaverse or, or any of these buzzwords? Yeah, I think I, I genuinely do believe that most of us will regret, uh, you know, using our real identities online. And I say that as someone who like, I wish I knew that when I was younger, because I probably would have, you know, been public in different ways. But I think it's it, it it it's for a couple of reasons. Like one is like right now, if you are you know a kid, like you're like whatever you do online is like forever on there, and we just have never experienced that. But I also think most people aren't meant to be public figures. Like no one, like I didn't wake up one day and decide like people were going to follow me. I was purely <laughs> creating content because I just like wanted to put my thoughts out there. And to me, that sounds crazy that people will watch and listen and read. And, but like it happened and people do read and, and listen to what I say, but it also, I, I would describe it as like my microphone is too loud in a lot of ways. And that like, I never intended for my microphone to like get to, you know, people way on the edges, you know, like I, I'm like, Oh, like I like when I had 3000 followers on Twitter, I probably knew every one of those followers or like I could at least understand how they got to know me. But like, once you get to a certain point, uh, like people just try and misconstrue what I say or do right. Like, or, or if I tweet something and it's like, Oh, no, nope, you didn't think about this. I'm like, I don't know. I was just like tweeting my thoughts. And and I think over time, when you become more and more of a public figure or you just you continue to create more content, it's natural that you're going to get more people that are paying attention to it. But it is like, I think there's a lot of pros and cons that most people aren't weighing. Like, why should I be public versus using a, a pseudonym or something else? And in crypto Twitter, crypto world, you see a lot of pseudonymous stuff. And that's mainly because those people have like, they're also the custodians of their own money and, and wealth, which is very different than like, I have a bank that's insured and I, you know, I have all these things, whereas these people like might actually be physically storing their digital assets, which is pretty crazy concept. And, and so you want to actually probably protect yourself even more. And so a lot of these people do try and protect their own identity. I guess time will tell. We'll have to see if we regret all of this and, you know, a few years down the line. I mean, I'm excited for this to go live. Have a good rest of your day. Hey, you too.